Hi there, everybody. Thanks so much for joining us. My name is Nate Schmidt with GamersWithGlasses.com, and I am thrilled today to be joined by Yonemann Nordhagen from Dimbulb Games, who has worked on Gone Home, Where the Water Tastes Like Wine, and now the thing we're here to talk about today, the Museum of Mechanics Lockpicking. Yonemann Nordhagen, thank you so much for joining us. Please tell me that I pronounced your name correctly. You did. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Yes. Thank you so much for having me, uh, too. This is this is great to get the opportunity to talk with you. Yes. Oh, no, I'm, I'm so thrilled to talk about it. And I'm excited to get into this new project that now it was up on itch and then it was released to Steam, right? Do I have the, the timeline accurate on that? Yeah, that's right. And they're they're actually uh, a little bit different. The um the itch version was um the one that I made uh, kind of as a side project. You know, it was very much uh, focused on quick iteration, just me making something, exploring these mechanics and things like that. Um, but after a while of doing that, I decided to see uh, what it would take to release a like more fully polished, uh, arted out version, you know, something that would fit in in the Steam um, ecosystem, right? Uh, so I hired artists and uh, did sound design and, you know, uh, cleaned up a bunch of stuff, polished it, added achievements and leaderboards and all the other things that Steam gamers love and, uh, and, and flung it up on Steam. So it's essentially the same game, the same project, but just a little bit more... Uh, looking like a uh, a commercial project let's say right right no and i really liked the arted out version in comparison it was especially fun to see the dungeons and dragons um mechanic kind of grow from like well it's a tabletop game where you roll dice to kind of it, there's a little bit of an adventure that that happens visually in the in the steam version that i think is cool yeah, yeah, that's that's one of everyone's favorites. I think that one turned out really well, the Dungeons and Dragons one. Yeah, no, I I really because that that was the one that was I wouldn't say surprising, but definitely kind of unique when I when I first entered the space and was kind of walking around and saw, oh, Dungeons and Dragons, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess that should be in here. Um, but before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let me give you an opportunity to kind of explain how you conceive of this project. So it's this virtual museum where you open it up and you walk in and there are some exhibits all around the room with these different lock picking mini games from all over that you can kind of pop in and out of and try. What was kind of the genesis of this, this idea of going especially because your other work that I know is so narrative driven, right? It's, it's all about the story. And so I'd be curious to hear how that shift worked for you from doing these like really emotionally gripping story-based games into, well, a, a bunch of, of lock picking, uh, <laughs> you know, mechanics next to each other. For sure, yeah. And actually, uh, there is, strangely, a little bit of a uh, narrative hook in here, but um, there were there were kind of two things that were happening simultaneously. Um, the first was that I was working um, on contract on a narrative game um, that we were we were working on coming up with interesting ideas for interesting and compelling ideas for how to uh, make conversations kind of, you know, uh, a focus of this game, right? It was mm. mostly about walking around, having conversations with people. And as part of that, um, this is something that uh, I think most designers do when they're tackling a problem that has been solved before, but has, but, but you're trying to take a new approach to is you go back and you look at like all the different ways people have done this in the past. Right. So we were tracking down all of these games that had interesting conversation systems in them. And, you know, we were like finding these sometimes obscure games, uh, you know, buying them or uh, trying to find copies if they had kind of gone, you know, out of print, uh, whatever that means for digital stuff. Um, just trying to remember like, oh, what, what games have cool conversation stuff in them, things like that. Um, it was a big, it was a big research project. And I, 
thought at the time that um, it would be really nice if uh, someone had collected all of these games in one place, right? I at least had a list of these games so you could go and see like these are the ones and uh, links maybe to YouTube videos so we could watch and see what the mechanics were like um, before buying the game or if the game wasn't available, we could at least see video of it in, in progress, things like that. So, you know, we were doing this work and then um, at the same time, uh, I saw a tweet from uh, Natalie Clayton, um, who uh, is a journalist with PC Gamer, um, used to be with Rock, Paper, Shotgun. Um, she's great. Uh, also a game developer. She uh, she made um, Can Androids Pray, uh, a oh, cool. really spectacular um, narrative uh, game about mechs. Um, anyway, she just tweeted uh, the phrase, a museum of fishing mini games or something like that i don't, may not have the wording exactly right but like yeah that's that that's that was her tweet and i saw that and i was like this is exactly what i want like this is i need this uh but i want this for conversation systems and you know this should exist not just for that but for anything designers want to research right all these common mini games that you see across games hacking uh you know fishing lockpicking right and you know I, I just made a little list of this and you know i tweeted that also and um you know people people liked the idea um and i just kept thinking about it from that point on you know i was like oh that's that would be really cool to make that kind of museum and as i said at the time i was doing you know contract work i wasn't working on my own projects um but i wanted something that i could call my own sort of a you know a little a little side project and making a museum like this felt like it would be great practice in a lot of ways, like both um, for kind of the design side of things, like looking, taking a, a close look at a lot of these mechanics and analyzing them, right, with a designer's eye, which I find, um, I know a lot of people who design games have a hard time turning off their kind of designer sensibility. Mm, and right. I do to an extent, but for me, I really have to like do, I have to focus on doing a close reading of mechanics if I want to like, take them apart and see what they're what they're made of i have to like kind of think about it uh intentionally um and so i thought okay this will be a good opportunity to practice that and it will also like you know i can uh learn just more about how unity works and how you know like programming these mini games and stuff like that because like i, I you know i've been i've been programming for decades now um but there's always more to learn especially you know when you try and get into this sort of stuff um right. one thing that i that I struggle with a little bit is um, doing quick and dirty things like mm -hmm. quick and dirty prototyping mm -hmm. stuff. I'm, I'm kind of an architect and I, I over plan everything before I start it. So this was another opportunity to be like, you know what, if I could just like bang out uh, some mini games real quick, like that might teach me to be less precious about code. It will teach me interesting things about unity. It'll teach me things about design. I'm going to try this. And uh, I picked lock picking because I felt like there were a, a fairly small number of games that used lock picking. It would be an easy museum to do. That was totally wrong, but it was, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I felt like that was the case. Um, and, uh, and also I felt like, uh, you know, the, most of them are very UI driven, right? They're 2D right. sort of stuff. And I figured like, okay, I can like, A, that's easier to program and B, um, I can make my own 2D programmer art that will work well enough. It, it will not look good, but it'll at least work. Whereas, you know, I cannot model anything in 3D to save my life, right? So <laughs> um, so I decided to start with lockpicking. And I, you know, I, I made a few of the mini games that, that I could think of off the top of my head, you know, Thief series, um, uh, some of the Bethesda games, stuff like that. Right. Um, and uh, threw it up on itch and people liked it. It, it. it resonated really well as a project. People started sending me, you know, more games that I had never heard of or thought of or, you know, whatever. And my list of games to implement grew longer and longer, unfortunately. <laughs> um, not really, unfortunately. It's, it's always nice to have that. But it was, as I said, it was a lot bigger of a task than I, than I expected when I, uh, when I initially bit it off. Um, yeah, and then, uh, you know, as I said earlier, like I, you know, I kept adding to this uh, as a side project on itch and eventually it got to the point where it was like, oh, this is like a pretty substantial um, investment of my time people right. it seems to be resonating well with people. Um, but I know that there's some rough spots right like the art is one of them i you know my programmer art is functional but never beautiful um the uh uh you know there was no sound design put into it at all uh you know 
just a bunch of things like that. And I was kind of convinced by talking to some other people that like, oh, maybe what I can do is uh, spend the money to do this and recoup it by releasing it on Steam as a project that, uh, you know, that, that becomes a commercial thing rather than just a... Uh, free it's 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 released like pay what you want on itch so people have given me money for it but you, there's no requirement to give me money at all um and i also at the same time wanted to um release all of the code for all the mini games i had made um into you know uh public not really public domain it's like mit license but you know it's like right. it's free for anyone right. to, to take and modify use for their own projects um and uh yeah so it, it seemed like a good opportunity to do all of that stuff uh it was also nice to i haven't released i've been doing mostly contract work for other people and i haven't released anything under the dimbo games label since where the water tastes like wine and i thought it would be nice to have another game up on uh you know the steam uh site for our game uh, for our, our company and things like that um so uh yeah that was that was kind of what happened yeah that i love that you got to lock picks from conversations that there's kind of this, this progression from how do we make a particular kind of mechanic work to wait a minute, how about mechanics in general? What does that look like and what does that mean? And, and what would it mean to kind of curate them? Sure. And I think that honestly, like that is the one that is most interesting to me. So what I tell people is like, I chose lockpicking because I thought it was easy. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so I just, I think about Sorry. the size and scope of the museum every time you say that. And yeah. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and, and I still have a list of things that, you know, uh, right. might get in there at some point, but, um, but the, the, the next, I think that the logical next one to do would be hacking because it and right. lockpicking have a lot of overlap and they're, they're similar. Right. Um, but, uh, and then the one that's most requested by everyone is fishing. The one mm. that, that Nat's original tweet was about. Um, but the one that I really want to do is conversations because they are fascinating. There's a lot of different ways people have tackled them. And I think that um, even more than lockpicking, conversation your conversation system really plays into how you tell the narrative you know of your of your game um and and how it like that's the point at which the narrative meets the mechanics right in a lot of in a lot of cases and that's fascinating to me as a you know narrative designer um and and as you pointed out a narrative focused developer like that's what i really want to dig into um it just it, it seemed like a lot to tackle uh right off because not only is there a lot of work to do there because there's a lot of different systems and they're all very different but um you need like real content for that you know you right. need uh it's very hard to evaluate a conversation system without some good writing uh to drive it so uh i and i didn't didn't feel like uh no. <laughs> making all of that so yeah 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 i mean you're right a conversation has to be about something whereas a lock it's kind of funny almost the degree to which i don't want to say it doesn't matter what's on the other side of the door or what's inside the chest or whatever but the degree to which solving the lock becomes its own reward in some way and explicitly so you know in the museum of mechanics where mm -hmm. that's basically what you do right but i guess that leads me to something that i've been wanting to ask you about which is so we have this project that's really really interesting from a developmental perspective what do you see as the appeal to a player where where does the relationship between playing in the museum of of mechanics and having a useful archive for developers how do those things kind of meet each other as you envision the project yeah you know that that is a really good question because that was a uh sort of an unknown when i when i went to make this a commercial thing is like oh what would a player want out of this you know and i think um there are many different types of players uh, as as we all know um and so it 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 varies. Um, but I, I came up with a few different things. Like one is that I think players do like to have the curtain pulled back on development stuff from time yeah. to time. Yeah. And mini games, designing an entire game and the way that like different mechanics and pieces and narrative and like production constraints and all that stuff fit together is like a gigantic 
complicated clockwork mechanism of some kind, right? And, you know, trying to show a player how all these different gears fit together, like even ignoring things like NDAs, like even if you could show the entire production process, I think it would be overwhelming um, to, to show uh, someone who is not in game development, like how this whole thing works. But choosing a microcosm of that, you know, a mini game and showing like, here is maybe some of the decisions that may went into this and how it fits into the context of the game as a whole and how um you know this is presented to the player i think that that is a bite-sized piece of game development that you can show players and that they will be like oh that's interesting like that is you know something that i can understand and and grasp without having to you know immerse myself in the world of game development um and it's it's neat to see that that kind of glimpse behind the curtain. So I think there's that that kind of player, right? There's the player who is interested in in what's going on. Um, I think that there is the player who is uh, an aspiring game game developer, which I think is a little different than the first one. Um, yeah. Similar but but different. And that's someone who wants to learn this stuff um, and needs an entry point to it. And again, I think that uh, you know picking a, a little piece of it uh, to start on and start thinking start making your brain think about how mechanics might work and how design works um, is helpful there. And then uh, I added leaderboards and achievements to the museum as well when I brought it to Steam. And that was my attempt at bringing in, you know, another kind of player, like the kind of person who sees this challenge before them, you know, this kind of big pure challenge of just undoing this lock um and wants to see like a collect all the locks in the museum or all the achievements in the museum and b maybe wants to compete against other people to see like oh how fast you know can i can i get this can i master this lock to the point where i am the top of the leaderboard or whatever right, right? um and so uh yeah those those are at least three of the the types of players that um i wanted to to bring in um honestly i don't feel like I feel like one of my biggest weaknesses as an independent game developer is I don't necessarily know uh, what players want. I don't feel like I have a good <laughs> uh, like a marketing grasp on that. Like I know what I want to make, and I think it's interesting. Right. And my hope is that I can like make that interesting for other people, you know, in some way. But I've never been a, a, a developer who like starts from a player focused perspective of like what do people want to play let me build something that is like perfectly adapted for the market or whatever i just don't think that way i think about like oh these are things that are interesting to me let me see if i can make a game out of them now let me see if i can convince anyone to buy that game right so uh yeah yeah no that 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 makes sense then i can tell you as a player the thing that drew me in was the relationship between this museum and um, game preservation kind of writ large. But I guess I want to pose that question to you before I assume it um, myself. Like, do, is there a sense in which you feel like this is a kind of preservational work that you're doing in your museum? You know, that's, that's something that I get asked a lot and um, have a lot of different thoughts on. Like, one is that that is not really the goal of the museum. Like I didn't set out with a preservationist, you know, mindset. Um, I do think that it is a, uh, it is a side effect of it for sure. Like, right. Um, but not, uh, I don't know. I think there are different ways to preserve games and things, right? right. I think that there is sort of this, um, uh, a, a metaphor I've used in the past is sort of like um, the the folk tales from where the water is like wine. Like in some ways, these uh, mini games in the museum are sort of the the folk tale version of the lock picking uh, games from other games. Right? It is not the game itself. Uh, right. Not even not even the lock picking portion of the game itself. Um, but it is an echo of that. It is hopefully enough of the meat of it, you know, seen through my eyes that like someone can recognize the the thinking that went into designing this mechanic and things like that. But yeah, again, like nothing from the original games is actually preserved. I don't have access to that source code. I obviously couldn't like use it even if I wanted to. Um, this is me playing these games and thinking like, how would I make this myself? And, you know, I guarantee that it works 
a lot differently from the originals, um, if only because I'm using very different technology. Um, mm. And I haven't been really concerned either with faithful reproductions, right? What I try to capture is the essence of the thing, enough of it to show other designers, like, what is this about? Like, you know, um, without without reproducing it exactly, because like, that's honestly kind of a, a pain in the butt to, you know, try and try and do a fully accurate reproduction of it. Um, not to mention that, you know, a game is an entire, you know, uh, holistic aesthetic experience and everything. And the game mechanics, as important as they are, are one part of that. The sound is another thing. The visuals are, you know, another, um, the controls even, right? Like some of these games were PC only and, um, I attempted to add uh, gamepad controls to as many of them as I could. Um, and that wasn't an option, for example, on like the Thief games. They never came out on console. So this is entirely made up on my end as far as like how would how would you adapt this to a to a console controller? Um, which, you know, for me was an interesting design exercise. But as a kind of preservationist thing, you know, I don't think that it is not the like preserved in amber kind of uh, right. preservation, right? Um, it, what it is, is like the kind of maybe oral tradition preservation of, you know, passing a story on and hoping that the core parts maintain as this as this thing goes forward, um, even if you lose the, the exact details of um, the original telling or whatever. Yeah, yeah, that I that's a really compelling metaphor. Um, or maybe it's an analogy. This is what happens when you <laughs> sure. talk to literary minded people. <laughs> Fair enough. Yep. <laughs> but but uh because I was recently playing um Cozy Grove, uh mm -hmm. sort of the the haunted I don't want to just call it haunted Animal Crossing because it has a lot of its own sort of um uniqueness to it, but the fishing mechanic is really really similar to the fishing mechanic in in animal crossing and it did have a little sense of the passing on of something familiar aspect to it like when when i cast the line out and there's the little silhouette of the fish and then it sort of nibbles a couple times and then there's mm -hmm. an audio cue for when it's the real the real one you know when it's time to reel it in um oh. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> but but when that happened that clicked with me in a manner not unlike when um so for example one, one of my son's favorite books is a uh, scary stories to tell in the dark um the compilation by uh, alvin schwartz of um horror sort of horror folk tales and whenever i read a story in that book that i remember being passed around you know when i was when i was a kid like ooh, don't look in the mirror and say this three mm -hmm. times you'll say you know it's that same kind of feeling it's that same kind of of like oh this is familiar this is like i i get this and i see it so um when i entered the museum the first place I went to was Oblivion, Elder Scrolls Oblivion, uh, because I have a lot of nostalgia for that game. Um, but did you have, do you have a favorite is I guess where I'm headed here? Like was, is oh, there, goodness. was there something that when you were, or something that as you were putting the museum together, you thought, oh, this is really good. This is the one that kind of sticks out with me and is one that I'm really glad I, I have in here. Um, I think that actually uh, the one that like maybe works the best uh, or I don't know, it has a lot of interesting things to it is the Skyrim uh, Skyrim one. Like yeah. I think that that is it's and the reason that that's true is because if you look at the other games in the museum, like that is an iteration on like kind of a long history of ideas starting with um thief 2 and going through thief 3 and on to you know the bethesda side of things um people took the previous mechanics and they iterated on it you can see that very clearly and i think that what they came up with is something very good which you would expect something that has kind of been tried and tested but one other thing that i realized while making the museum is that um 
you can't really point to one game in isolation and say, oh, this is the best, you know, lock picking, because it really does depend strongly on what you're trying to do with your game and with the mini game. Like, how does this mini game fit in with all the other cogs of the game? Right. And you mentioned, like, for example, with Oblivion, um, you know, there's a whole resource thing based around lockpicks and you know knowing uh not being like an economy designer myself but knowing a little bit about that like i know that you know when you are designing something like that like you need resource uh sources and resource sinks for economy stuff and lockpicking would play into that in some way of like you know tuning lockpicks harder or easier means that your lockpicks your lockpick supply changes right the economics right. of that right. does you know and everything and um and so thinking about the way that these little mini games fit into the context of the larger game i think is really important and um you know what what are you trying to do with your mini game and in that sense like honestly the the kind of rpg ones it's hard to say what role they play in um in a game like Oblivion or Skyrim, you know, an open world one, like in a lot of games, uh, you know, lockpicking is a gating mechanism. Like it's a very literal gating mechanism of like, can you get past this? Do you have the skills or the resources or whatever to do so? Um, in an open world game, that becomes a little bit weirder, right? I mean, it still is obviously, it can be a gating mechanism, but because players can encounter things in any order, it, you know, it, it changes the things a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, besides being like a resource sink and a uh, skill tree goal sort of thing and uh, a narrative device about like, oh, you know, this person locks up their valuables, what's in this chest uh, that right. they're trying to keep safe from everybody else, you know, all of that sort of stuff um, is important. But it's hard to think about a, a reason why the player needs to sit there and play a lockpicking mini game to, to have some of those experiences, right? Like the um, one of the other games in the museum or, or a, a whole group of games actually is the kind of like Deus Ex, um, Thief One, No One Lives Forever, like that, that sort of early immersive sim thing where lockpicking was not a mini game at all. It was basically just hold down a button until this happens. It still, however, had the resource costs attached to it. Lockpicks mm. were still scarce. It still had a skill thing associated with it you could you know get your uh your skill up and that would mean you used less lock picks doing this sort of thing um so you could accomplish a lot of the same goals without a mini game and it's it's and maybe this is just because i'm not really this kind of designer but it's it's hard for me to come up with the exact reason that skyrim needs to have a mini game for lock picking rather than something else right um but other games it is very important in right like uh you know i think that in the Thief series, the reason that they moved it from a uh, just hold down a button to a minigame sort of thing is part of the fantasy of being this all-powerful, you know, stealth figure. Not all-powerful, but like powerful in certain ways, like this right. hyper-competent, let's say, right. um, stealth figure is, yeah, the idea that, oh, no lock can stop me, right? And uh, having the, the dexterity to do that and making the player feel like they are delicately uh, unlocking a challenging lock, I think is part of the fantasy there. And you can really understand that. I guess that, you know, that, that does apply somewhat to, to Skyrim and, and other RPG games too, because one of the character archetypes you can choose there is that same, like, you know, stealthy, whatever, you know, that's what I always play is a, you know, a stealth archer and just nice. sit in the shadows and one shot people with my bow. Uh, it's very, very cheesy, but uh, anyway, yeah. Um, <laughs> but powerful. It's very powerful. powerful. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, yeah. So uh, I forgot where, where we started that, but hopefully that answers uh, what, what, you <laughs> no, were, it does. Uh, what you're asking. It, it does. Cause it reminds me of something I was thinking about uh, when I was kind of poking through the descriptions um, some of the research that you'd done uh, on some of the locks. And you mentioned that there's there's a couple of them, I think, where you use the phrase that there's a sense in which this mini game um, takes the player out of the game. And so I guess I was wondering if you felt like there was kind of a continuum of like lockpicking mini games that are integrated firmly into what the game is supposed to be and mini games that are essentially speed bumps or interruptions uh, uh along the way and if 
there is from just from your perspective as a developer any kind of value value judgment or meaning that that could be applied depending on what you're trying to make yeah absolutely i think that's you know um you've really yeah, hit the nail on the head there um as far as the there is a continuum i think and um actually maybe surprisingly um the thing that i think ties most closely to its own game genre are the pure puzzle games that have mm. lockpicking in them. Uh, some examples in the museum are like Testament of Sherlock Holmes or uh, King's Air, which is a, you know, just a point and click hidden object sort of game. Um, uh, and the reason is that those games are essentially just a series of puzzles with different narrative wrappings around them, right? If you right. play Testament of Sherlock Holmes, uh, sometimes you're trying to like, I don't know, uh, uncover, you know, a particular thing by uh, pouring different amounts of chemicals, you know, into, you know, and, and the theming around that is like, oh, you're testing stuff with your chemical testing kit or whatever, but it's right. just a puzzle, you know, and sometimes the theming is, oh, you need to open this door with a piece of wire and the theming around that is lock picking, but at their core, the whole game is puzzles. That is what the player is doing is they're moving from puzzle to narrative to puzzle to narrative until they finish the game. And it's just a linear progression of this stuff. And so in that sense, like, the lock picking doesn't feel very much like real lock picking um, in those games. It's not really trying to sell a fantasy of lock picking, but it is skinned like lock picking because they need another puzzle, and this is this is a good way to do that. And um, you know, I think that that is a very good match of the game to its mechanics. It doesn't take you out of it because that is that is what the whole game is. Um, and then you get uh, things like. <clears throat> Dust, uh, an Elysian Tale, which is in there, which is like an action platformer game. Very interesting game to have lockpicking mechanics in it at all. But the lockpicking mechanics are this, this like time driven, um, uh, what do you call it? You know, uh, you have to press buttons in a certain yeah. order kind of thing uh, with a time limit. You know, um, it is, it feels like playing an action platformer. I don't know that the game would be any worse if you removed the lockpicking mechanic, honestly, in there. But I do appreciate right. the fact that, like, they're like, okay, the player is, you know, good at press. They, they signed up to this game to press buttons, you know, quickly in a precise way. And that's what the lockpicking minigame is more of, is, you know, quickly pressing buttons in a precise way. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, that's maybe further along there. Uh, then you have things like... Yeah, the RPGs and stuff where uh, it's more really about the fantasy and and the fact that you're doing this lockpicking minigame. Maybe the minigame doesn't need to be there at all, but it is, you know, helping you feel like you're in this, you know, world. It's another opportunity for them to be like, look, you're in a medieval world and locks exist and can be picked or whatever, you know. Right. Um, and then all the way, I think that probably I'd have to look at this again uh see if there's something else i missed but probably the one that stands out most like a sore thumb that doesn't fit are the mass effect games yeah. and i think that like i have a lot of sympathy for those designers because they wanted probably i assume the gating effects of lock picking and you know things like that but what they're working in this like futuristic kind of setting and you know literally sticking a thing into a lock and jiggling it around doesn't feel like futuristic right. lock picking um instead they came up with other things and what they did is put just other games in there and that that there was a there was a time when that was like a very popular thing to do like you know bioshock for example which i worked on you know has it's hacking mini game is just a pipe dream right and you play this right. this game that we know already pipe dream um to, to bypass locks and it doesn't feel particularly like hacking um you know in any kind of way it's just a mini game that we could insert into this game and have it you know be whatever i wasn't involved in the design of that i was just yeah but um uh but yeah so in mass effect you know mass effect one has this frogger you know it's just frogger you're just playing <laughs> yes. frogger and you you know and that that is that is lock picking you know it's very it doesn't fit the fantasy of lockpicking at all and it doesn't fit really 
it just takes you out of the game, as you said, you know, and uh, Mass Effect 2 is memory, you know, it's just the, the kid's game of memory um, themed a little bit, you know, uh, differently to, to fit in a science, science fiction environment. Um, but again, they just kind of lifted a mechanic wholesale and put it in there. And I don't really know why that is. Like I, like I said, I think they, they, they wanted some things from like gating or some other like mechanical advantage of that. At the time, I feel like there was an expectation that actions and games had mini games. Like that was a very common thing. And so maybe it was also a player expectation thing of like, oh, you need to have me playing something inside your game in order to to do a thing. Like that's just the way games work, you know, and that's a player expectation and that might be part of it also. But yeah. Yeah. I So related to that, I have a question which is leading to another question and you don't have to answer the first one if you don't want to, because it's just in the service of the second one. So the first question is, have you ever picked a, a lock? And the second question is, do, would you care to speculate on why this fantasy is so compelling? Like, mm. why is this? Because you're right. You, you, you mentioned earlier, like conversation, fishing, lock picking, the other than conversation, obviously, video games have us imagine ourselves constantly in situations repeatedly, right? Like a folktale in situations that don't happen. And they're weird situations. I mean, how often, why would it be that you could go fishing and then pick a lock on some poor person's house the same day it's just it's it's strange right it, and you don't think about it unless you have something like this project that kind of brings it strangeness to the fore so i guess i'm i'm curious if you have real world experience with this <laughs> but more importantly i'm curious about like do you have thoughts as a developer about why why lock picking and why do you what why is this a compelling thing to have in all these fictions that we like to inhabit digitally. Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, so yes, I have picked locks. Um, I, uh, one of my friends that two came in was big into lock picking and she had a whole set of picks and set of practice locks and things like that. And, you know, I got to play with those oh, and so everything. Cool. I never had my own set. I was never that into it. I was never that good at it. I just, you know, I did get to try it a few times though. Um, and it was, it was interesting. I think it is very much like a, game designer nerd sort of thing like that challenge you know overcoming this challenge and right. also like learning the different uh types of locks like there's a there's a whole deep rabbit hole of knowledge you can dive into right to to learn about locks and um and how best to pick them um so i think that that appeals to a lot of like game designer -y, gamer brains right and that that's probably part of it um and i think another one uh another reason that it shows up so frequently lockpicking specifically is that it is a really good mechanic for gating, right? Like everyone instinctually understands, intuitively understands a locked door. You know, you cannot go through this area because it is a locked door and that makes sense. Um, and then if you give the player a way to bypass that, that you as a designer control, that is a really easy, like, thing to do that makes sense in the context of worlds it's just like a very natural gating mechanism and we've all played games where we find like unnatural gating mechanisms right like oh there's a knee-high wall here that i cannot get over until i you know unlock a power or you know i have right. to go around or something like that and it's like okay that doesn't that doesn't really do it or like oh this you know uh, this water is too high and i need to adjust a sluice gate or whatever and it's kind of like that's that's a little weird i've never in my real life, I've never encountered a sluice gate. I don't know what, you know, but I don't expect that, you know, but, no. but a locked door, I get it. Like, oh, this door is locked. I am not used to being able to go through locked doors. I am used to, you know, key and gate mechanics or lockpick, you know, kind of things that that rings the bell in my head. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been thinking, I think about that kind of thing a lot when I play the... Uh, the FromSoft, the uh, games, the the souls, your souls types, and that kind of thing. Like, who is building this? Who's building these doors that are that are only open from one side and have to be controlled by by levers? Like, what what madman 
woke up one day in the not not I'm not talking about developers. I mean, in the narrative of the world, mm, yeah, like for sure. in this world, what person woke up one day and decided this is how doors work here. <laughs> and the way they work is there's a huge ass lever that you have to pull and it's only on one side. That's going to really be frustrating if we ever have to like, I don't know, leave <laughs> to, to go to the bathroom and then come back. in. <laughs> <laughs> but but no i think that makes sense there's something intuitive about it there was one game that was in the museum that really uh stood out to me and just made me wonder like how you came to bind it and how it came to be part of the museum and that was um picklock the one that had its own controller that it's like a lock pick for you know a physical lock picking controller that you get into how I just I looked at that and I thought, how did he ever find this? Like, what, what, is is there is there a story there? Like, where did that? There is a little bit. Yeah, in? that's uh, that was all luck because uh, what happened is um, I was asked to be uh, an industry advisor for some NYU graduate students doing their um, their kind of project. So what they do is they have a faculty advisor and then they also find an industry advisor who kind of gives them I don't know advice from uh, from the practical side i don't know exactly but um even though i did it i don't know this but uh yeah so (laughs) i was i was asked to be uh industry advisor to a small team of nyu graduate students um who were working on it started the concept of the game started as like something between like the borges like infinite library idea and um this lock picking thing and also this narrative thing um like it was kind of this you could tell that there were multiple students involved who all had their own cool ideas for a game and they tried to you know combine them together um and that 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 fell apart and i actually ended up being uh advisor to the student who wanted to do the narrative portion because that was a really good fit um and the rest or another part of the team went on to make picklock which was very much scoped down version of this lock picking thing but focusing on oh let's do some hardware design let's make something that really feels like actually picking a lock because uh most of the locks in the museum most of the mini games are nothing at all like really picking a lock like they will teach you nothing about opening a lock in the real world in any kind of way uh pick lock i've never actually gotten my hands on the controller because it was you know it's a one-off thing you know for this thesis project but um but Picklock was actually attempting to give you, you know, the feeling of manipulating uh, things in a lock. Um, so yeah, so that was just lo- luck. Is that these students that I knew were making this project, and I just asked them, "Hey, can I include this in in the museum? Like, you, can I put some of my video in here and kind of promote your promote your thing? Because uh, it is really cool." Yeah, it is really cool. I never stop thinking about Borges when I'm playing video games. It's just it's everywhere. One other thing I wanted to ask you about was sort of your, I don't want to call it curatorial process necessarily, especially if sort of that cased in amber preservation isn't part of your goals for the project. But I guess, how did you decide what mini games to to put in here and how did they kind of, um, this group kind of come together? Yeah, so people will, uh, you know, when, once I put out the museum, most of the games came from people's suggestions of things that they had played and were like, oh, you should put this in. And what my process was, what I would put down all of those games in in my list, and then I would go find some video of them if I could and kind of try and see, like, what is the central mechanic here that this is using? And a lot of games are basically just duplications of other mechanics right like there's a lot of popular mechanics for how you do lock picking in games and so uh there's a lot of duplication and um there may be like slight variations or whatever but i tried to pick the one of those that it was either that was like kind of the you know i don't know the the just the quintessential example of you know this this mechanic this basic mechanic right because my goal was to give designers like a, a buffet to choose from of like oh these are this is an overview of the state of lock picking in video games you don't need to care too much that this game you know has slightly different timing or has a you know like additional little mechanic attached to it or whatever the core mechanic is this right here right, right. um 
so that was that was kind of my process as I filtered based on that. Um, and some of them were just also like maybe too complicated or too much work to include or didn't it didn't feel like they added much to it right like i had uh, a number of sherlock holmes games on there i picked I bet. testament um but like like i said you know those are just puzzle games and so they come up with a number of different ways to skin lock picking and looking at them like some of them are like pretty complicated to implement and i didn't really feel like because they are just puzzles um, I didn't feel like they necessarily would add anything to the understanding of like if you're a designer coming in looking for options that putting in another type of puzzle would would necessarily teach you anything about that right or or give you an option and you know I, I fully admit that that is just my own very subjective opinion on like oh sure. I don't feel like this is interesting right sure. um, but uh, when I when I do leave games out, I try to at least put references to them. You know, sometimes on the sign it'll say like, "Oh, this is a kind of collapsed version of these four or five games or whatever." Um, sometimes in the notes, I'll say like, "Oh, uh, other Sherlock Holmes games, you know, do other puzzles, you know, things like that." Um, yeah, uh, and then you know I uh, was mostly so because of that I'm mostly looking for like a lot of unique perspectives on what lock picking is, right? So the ones that most excited me were something that was doing something totally different, right? Like um, Hillsfar, the uh, the game in there um, that, that's the earliest example of lock picking games. Mm -hmm. It is a it is very hard, very difficult. It is like timer based, right. but rather than being like any kind of dexterity thing, like a lot of the other locks that might fit that description it is all about like kind of visual pattern matching in a way that is unique i think you know in that and so like i love it when people just take a totally different tack and i think that hillsfar did that because they were the first game that i know of you know to even have lock picking in it and they had to come up with something from whole cloth about like yeah. what how do you how do you do this and i think it's interesting to think about like you know, if you are a thief breaking into a lock or whatever, rather than, you know, trying to, you know, do this that we've maybe seen in movies a bunch, um, instead thinking about like having all of your tools spread out in front of you and having to quickly like pick the right tool for the job. Like, I think that's an equally valid fantasy. It's just very different than what everybody else chose uh, to represent the same thing. Um, and maybe that pattern matching thing would fit your game better than a dexterity minigame would right so right. yeah 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 that's cool it's almost a kind of mm, almost a, a not dangerous but certainly it's a big shift to put lock picking into a game because then you don't get to uh have in a sense you don't get to have locked doors anymore Right. Like there, there, mm -hmm. there's a sense in which once once the ability to bust through the lock is available to you, you have to come up with other kinds of gating mechanisms. But so we talked about conversation. We talked about fishing. Um, have you thought about any other mechanics that it might be interesting to sort of see receive this type of treatment? Yeah, Um so, uh, I mean, I, I also mentioned hacking, which is like mm. very similar to lockpicking. There's That's a lot right. of overlap there. Yes. Um, it, you know, I don't know that that it's sometimes difficult to draw a line between the two because, you know, they're both ways of unauthorized access to a thing. Right. right. Um, but I, I did I did draw one. Um, I have a, a friend actually who wanted to make um, an exploration of different, and this idea like predated the museum, um, I, how different game engines work with movement, specifically mm. in like first person shooter games and how like moving and jumping in, you know, Quake feels different than, you know, something else, right? Um, right. And, and how that changes. Um, it, that is a very complicated problem to tackle just because it right. is so fundamental to the way that the engine works and everything. You kind of have to change a lot of fundamental constants, you know, in order to, to, to explore that. Um, so that's a big project to bite off, but uh, maybe he would do that. Uh, I think it would be fascinating to see, right? Like to, to be like, okay, now, you know, you're, you're moving around in the, in the quake way. Like what's, what are your right. strengths and weaknesses? Like strafing works this way or whatever. Now you're moving like, you know, uh, team fortress two or whatever. What does that feel like, you know, or the different classes in team fortress, you know, I don't know all that sort of stuff. Um, I really think that there's, there's a lot of things. There's some mechanics that are so, 
woven into like the whole game that it's difficult to extract them um i would really like i think that um looking at the different ways of doing crafting would also be interesting oh yeah that's another one that like is is so integrated in some games that it's difficult to think about like essentially reproducing the crafting mechanic would be reproducing the entire game right uh, which is which is too much um <laughs> but but it is interesting to look at the different ways that people you know that the things do that like recipes of like combine this many things you know or like alchemy in uh oblivion or, or skyrim you know the bethesda rpgs like that model of doing things versus like the minecraft like arrange ingredients in a pattern you know kind of way uh like how does a recipe express itself how does crafting work in in this stuff how open is it you know to just like if you combine the wrong things does it just say you can't do that or does it like oh you made something else that wasn't what you wanted you know or whatever right like just uh yeah the different ways people have explored that would be really neat the uh the breath of the wild dubious food that's right, one of exactly, my favorite yep. things, especially the fact that it's dubious. Like that's exactly <laughs> the right word for yep. <laughs> for what's being produced in that moment. Well, Yonaman Nordhagen, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk with you. Thanks, Nate. No, I really appreciated this. This was a wonderful conversation. Yes, thank you. I've, thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, the Museum of Mechanics Lockpicking is available on Steam, and I highly recommend the Steam version. You can also acquire a, a pay-what-you-want version of it off of itch.io. 